Blog Talk Radio. Never travel in time 
do is the best I can and go there in my mind. So I close my eyes, imagine I'm there, hide and seek musical chairs, hot summer nights. And the cool winter snow From once upon a long time ago I smile as I look back on roads I've crossed Traveling down memory lane But without all of those that I loved and lost Life is not the same For all the good times I can recall To all I've loved God bless you all The happiest moments That I'll ever know Were once upon A long time ago Well, it's time for memory again, for our memories to kick in and go back once upon a long time ago. And as we do each week, we want to give a big hello to some of the 50 countries around the world who listened to the show, who listened last week. They were Norway, Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Germany, Latvia, Russia, China, Romania, Croatia, Austria, Switzerland, France, Spain, Portugal, Kenya, United Republic of Tanzania, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Dominican Republic, Mexico, Canada, and we added a new country a couple of weeks ago called, I think it's Myanmar, which was the old Burma. All listening to the radio show. Wow. What an impressive audience we have. My name is Neil Holland, a retired captain with Eastern Airlines. We started the show about 11 years ago, and I've produced the show. If you'd like to call in and talk with our guest host today or to add your comments, you can dial 213-816-1611. The producer will see your number on the caller's board and open your microphone, which is your phone to bring you into the conversation. And let me repeat that number again. It's 213-816-1611. So today's show uh, is hosted by Kathy Gomer. And before we turn it over to Kathy, I wanted to just uh, tell you a little bit about uh, the show today. It's it's uh, titled, uh, basically, no title. I just uh, started off by saying it's human trafficking. And it's a serious problem all over the world, but worse in sub-Saharan Africa, where there's little knowledge of what it is and who it affects or how it happens. Wings for Change has partnered with Anti-Trafficking International, who has multiple programs for professionals, including airport and airline employees which will be the topic of the radio show today. 
Kathy Gomer flew for TWA beginning in 1969. She's a registered nurse. She started Wings for Change, which was supported by a chapter of the Silverliners, which we've been talking about a lot here the last two weeks. They just finished their convention in Tampa a couple of weeks ago in northwest Florida. It grew, and it is now a 501c3 corporation, that is uh, Wings for Change, serving thousands of girls and women in Uganda. The program grew to include health education and human trafficking awareness. And Kathy has invited during the broadcast Mr. Bill Wolf. Uh, Bill is a U.S. Department of Justice Director of Human Trafficking Programs, and we're happy to have these two guests on the radio show today and encourage all of our listeners uh, to call in with your questions uh, that uh, you may have for Kathy or Bill. Our, again, our call-in number is area code 213-816-1611. And, of course, if you're listening, you don't, you don't need me to tell you this, but for those people around the world that might pick us up uh, to listen in, you can go to our host on the Internet because we are a cyber station. We're not a a land-based station, so we broadcast around the world live, which we're doing today. Our site is www.blogtalkradio.com and forward slash, a forward slash, and the uh, Captain Eddie, that's abbreviated Captain C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E, Captain Eddie. And that'll put you into the program that you can listen to. And and by the way, all of our shows are archived. We're nearing 700 archived shows over the years. So uh, the last ones have been extremely interesting, as today's show should be also. Uh, Kathy, are you with me today? I am, Bill. Thank you. I'm in Tallahassee, okay. Florida. Okay, well, tell us a little bit what's going on in Tallahassee about how you did all of this, and then introduce your guest. You're the host today, Kathy, so take over. Okay, thank you. Um, as as you said, I flew for TWA, and I'm also a registered nurse. Somehow or another, and I'm not really sure, somewhere along the line, I, I um, met some Eastern Airline people, probably through the Internet, and they started talking to me about silver liners. So um, I thought, good, I'll go to a meeting, and I did, and I met wonderful friends that will probably be my lifetime friends. We started in Destin, Florida, and there were enough of us in the Tallahassee area that we could start our own chapter. But before we left Destin, we got those women over there a little bit involved. Um, Each Silver Liners chapter, um, it's social and it's philanthropic. So we each had to have um, a charity that we needed to support. I misunderstood. I thought we had to have a domestic charity and an international charity, probably from my airline days. I made this connection. And so we had our domestic charity all sorted out, and we struggled because we weren't sure exactly how we wanted to do it for international. At that time, um, I had been planning on going on a medical mission um, to Uganda, and so I met some people online, basically and asked a hundred questions or more and learned that young girls, after they 
uh, begin their period, they can't go to school. Um, they don't have the money to buy pads. And life significantly changes for these young girls at about in sixth grade. So I presented it to my chapter, and I said, how about we do this? How about we support this one school for, for, the, for those girls so they can go to high school and they can complete, complete their education? We'll, mm-hmm. we'll supply them with pads. Great. We nicknamed it. We called it Kotex for the Congo. And we collected 8,000 pads. We cleared out every Dollar Tree store I think there was in Florida. <laughs> and we packed it. And we found a chaplain out of um, Fort Benning, Georgia, who was going over there. And he made an agreement with us that he would take our pads with him. Things didn't work out exactly as we had hoped. But probably, well, a little, maybe 40% of them made it. Um, and not, in the, not always in the luggage we sent over there. So, but it was an enormous success. Um, women learn for the first time. I'm not talking only young girls. I'm talking their mothers and their grandmothers for the first time about the reproductive system. Part of my agreement with our partner in Jinja, Uganda at that time, with the one school, was that they had to have education about the reproductive systems and they had to learn how to take care of their bodies, which he did. He not only did that, but he hosted a soccer game, and little boys came, and men came, and teenage boys came. And at that, he took it upon himself to talk to them about their treatment to women and bullying and also talk about their reproductive system and their responsibilities. It was beautiful. I mean, he, he took what little we gave him, and then he expanded on it. And that's how the program started, with one school, one guy that, that got, got the vision, had the same vision and the same idea that I did, that he had the culture down pat, and he knew how to do it. So um, it, just got, it just grew from there. Um, he had contacted me and said, I've been asked to speak to a group, and there are going to be about 90 women there. Fine, I'll send you money. By this time, I could trust him. I'll send you money. You can buy the pads there. Much cheaper than what we did the first time. He did. He got there, and there weren't 90 women. There were 900. So all he got to do was talk to them about their reproductive systems and taking care of themselves. He couldn't pass out, you know, throw a pad or here or there or whatever and had to to watch them scramble for it. But Mm -hmm. then the next week, he took those, those pads and went up into the villages in the mountain area. And talked to the people there. Those women, he sent me back a video of women doing this loud screeching noises and, and joy because they were so happy that someone paid attention to them. And someone told them, you're not cursed, you're not filthy, you're a woman. And it just, mm. then here comes COVID. So nobody gathers. So any, inf- any information to health education is done. So we thought, well, they had a lot of other needs. Um, so we, we raised money and we fed people. Um, there were porridge stations where people could go one day a week during the daytime um, and have at least a bowl of basically cornmeal that's watered down with water. And that was, that was subsidence for them. It was uh-huh. also um, because of the severe lockdown, um, people couldn't get out you know, when they had health problems in the evening after sundown. So um, by default, I became 
the on-call nurse for Uganda for that orphanage in that school. He would take videos, he would make pictures, and he would even call me on WhatsApp and tell me what's going on with videos so I could see the child and, and try to work them through my little knowledge of what their resources are and what they had and try to help this person because they, were, they feared being shot if they were out at night. Um, one child got into another child's medicine, so that required, okay, let me you know, get to Poison Control Center and see what we can do from here. Fortunately, by the grace of God, it was something that could be handled from, what, from the resources that he had within his home and school. Then COVID stopped, and in January, right before January of this year when they assembled for school, I was researching and learning more and more and more about human trafficking because I really wanted to get this information to my partners in Africa because we have them in Kampala and South Missouri and Sabai District over to towards the Kenya border. Um, so I began to research and gather as much information as I could, and I sent it to several of them. Immediately, they jumped on it. They took it out, and they started preaching it. I'm talking not only in, in churches, but in, in groups. They went to the villages and to the mountains. They went on radio stations with just a little dab that I'd thrown together. Mm-hmm. So now we're putting Wings for Change is putting on an entire package for them. Um, 17 girls have all already been rescued as a result of just talking to people there. The conditions are horrible there. Bill will probably address them. Um, I know he will. Far better than I. But they're so bad, and I hope there's not children listening, but children are abused in the worst way. Um, sometimes people in other countries will want to dedicate a particular building to their to their faith, and they want to do so with a, a live human infant for a live sacrifice, a human sacrifice for their building. Um, Horrible, horrible things go on, um, things that shouldn't go on. There's not just the sex trafficking and the, it, there's bill go on to all this labor trafficking. Um, it's just, and what's really awful and what hit home two weeks ago, my partner in Jinja was out talking to a group of men and women. Young, young people want to get into this. This is who's affecting it are the young people. I'm talking the 20s, 20-year-olds, and they really want to know about it. Um, while he was talking about it, he had just learned that his wife's cousin had gotten this wonderful job opportunity in Kenya, and he was so excited. He was going to leave. He was going to work. He was going to send money home. He was going to save as much as he could because the the, the benefits and the, the, the money was fantastic. Well, that particular day that my partner in Ginger was talking, cousin was found at the Kenya and Uganda border, and both of his kidneys were removed. He was still alive, but he didn't live for very long. So um, Bill will go into all this, but it's it's terrible. They're taking advantage of people. The things the things that I write on because we're like you introduced in the introduction. We're writing a whole health education program. The things that I'm writing on, it's like that, that anybody can find this on the internet. Well, you can if you have electricity and you have an internet mm-hmm. and you have all the the resources that we do. During COVID, they had nothing. They sent me emails and said, what can we do? Tell us about COVID. What, how can we prepare? So gathered the CDC information, sent them some money so they can have some supplies to, to clean up their school and to wash their hands and, and teach them, you know, mm. the basics and, and masks, how to make a mask. 
and the police departments have gone to him. The uh, they don't call them their politicians, but whoever their hotshots are in their communities, they go to them too and ask for this information. Our partners have rented PA systems and gone on and educated full groups of people. Um, you know the human trafficking part, and and I really want Bill to hear this. So many police officers have gone to this one particular partner that we have, and they begged for the information. However. When you go on the Internet, you find that Uganda says, even though they're a Tier 2, which means they're not in real good shape here on their efforts to fight human trafficking, um, they state that they have all these things intact. It's all on paper as far as I'm concerned, or maybe it's just there in Kampala. It's not reaching. It's not reaching the nation. So uh, we're trying to to offer as much as we can to the professionals there, as Bill's done here, and, oh, and also, because I'm an RN, um, when I go, I'm going to Uganda in June and July. I'll be there. I'm going to be speaking to different health community clinics because they don't have the information. And I'm going to be honest with you. I take recurrent training every, you know, in our CEUs every two years. We've been, for the past maybe six or eight years now, we've been studying. We've had to take a course, a two-hour, one- or two-hour course on human trafficking, it, it is nowhere near, nowhere to the point or to the level of information that Bill has through Anti-Trafficking International. And I'm hoping that somehow we get all this to nurses. You know, we, we've got to put it out there. Um, I was on a Delta flight sitting next to a Delta first officer, a young man. They're, they're all teenagers to me anymore. <laughs> but anyway... And we were talking about, uh, first of all, we started talking about Sandy Pearl and uh, Southern 242 and then eventually got to human trafficking. And I know they have this in their recurrent because I have friends that still fly. And, but it's nowhere near. They don't, they know, they don't have, a, they just have, they scratch the surface. It's so much deeper and there's so much more they can learn. Because hospitals, you know, clinical healthcare settings and airports and airlines are Bill will state, this is, this is a huge place. This is where you're going to find them. After I've learned what I've learned, I know that as a flight attendant, I can even tell you, I can describe what happened, that I've seen it. I had no idea what it was. It just something was very odd. And as a nurse, I did disability case management for fairly catastrophic cases. And a lot were um, migrant workers. And I know, I know now what was going on. There was something I couldn't put my finger on. I know now exactly what it is, and it was human trafficking. So anyway, that's how we got started. And I want to say this. I'm going to put a plug in, another plug in for silver liners and flight attendants. As a nurse, I can tell you my nurse friends probably wouldn't have had the guts to start this like my flight attendant friends did. (laughs) And I mean it. Yay, Yay flight attendant power because they were, okay, we can do this. Let's go. Let's do it. They, well, we Kathy, all worked together as a crew, and it happened. Kathy, at one time, to be a flight attendant, which they were called hostesses back then, you had to be right. a nurse. So exactly, <laughs> you were well qualified. And, you know, and here's the other thing, Neil. I, I, TWA, when I was first hired, we were not called stewardesses. We were we were hostesses, airline yeah. hostesses. Um, that was just before we. Then they, for a while, for a brief time, they call us cabin attendants, and nobody liked that. It sounded like we worked in a kid's camp. <laughs> but um, 
but in today's today's what I'm hearing and seeing and reading um, uh, on airplanes, what's happening on airplanes, basically, I what I feel that we get on airplanes today is essentially the night flight people. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, sure do. Yeah, the people that got the cheap seats and yeah. um, haven't been based in San Francisco for a couple of years. Um, those were the people <laughs> at night that were always just a little on the edge. And many, many weird stories from those L.A., you know, Boston, L.A., L.A., San oh, Fran, yeah. those flights. And, and with the level of drugs and with the elderly that fly more now than they used to and, and the young people that are just impaired. Mm-hmm. I, I, if, someone, if there was a vote and they would say, do you, you know, how do you feel? What can we do? I think there should be someone that's a licensed healthcare person on each flight. I yeah. truly do. I think I think we're asking we're asking so much of flight attendants, far more than than they did in the sixties and seventies, and even the early eighties for many of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. how did you and Bill get together, Kathy? Okay, networking. Um, someone that I know introduced me to a wonderful young woman named Liliana, and she started. She wanted to know a little bit more about human trafficking and what we were doing. Uh, we're going to. There's going to be a mission conference in North Carolina in September, and we're going to be talking about human trafficking there. And she wanted to have some more information. So through her, she introduced me to Bill, and it was like, thank you, Lord. Because it, he has everything that we needed, you know, for the airlines, for, for my involvement with Silverliners, for, for health care, um, and so much more that, that, that we, have the, we have resources to get, that, to get that here. My friends in Africa do not. And not only do I have friends in Africa, but hopefully wings will get a little bigger, we'll have more interest, because we have people in Tanzania, in, in Kenya in Rwanda. I really want to get this information to Ghana and to Nigeria, especially northern Nigeria, because it's not just telling them about human trafficking. It's, it's to protect them. And also in part of our package, um, we, we go a lot into um, domestic violence and abuse and, and bullying and there's just, there's, and taking care of their bodies. And it's, it's a lot that, that needs to be out there. You know, a lot of information, and um, a lot of it's pro-woman. I'm not a card-carrying feminist, as they would call it, but women are very disrespected. And I've even had priests um, tell me that they were brought up in an er- in a time where they now have an awareness, and they feel bad for the way they bullied, especially young girls. Because that was, that's just the way the culture is. Um, I Oh, this is so exciting. Um, one of the female priests there asked me, um, largely we work with churches and, um, and church schools and orphanages um, because that's where my network is and those are the people that I know and I know I can trust. Um, asked me if I could get some information on suicide. Um, so I wrote a package a lesson, a good lesson for them, all about suicide, um, because it, it increased in, in Uganda as it did everywhere in the world during COVID. Um, 
she presented it to a group of a large ladies group uh, called the Mothers Union in Uganda. And now the Mothers Union is requesting that all the school teachers have this information as well as, well as all the Wings for Change um, programs. They want them all, tra- all trained in it. So this is, for us in America, this is a no big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's it's there. I mean, we can get it. We can we can go places and get information. We can get on the internet. There they can't. So mm-hmm. it's it was really really heartening to see this happening. Um, so when we started with pads, the Codex for the Congo, it was, it was fun and games. It 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 turned, and now it's real. It, it's not just letting allowing little girls to have had so they can go to school, teach them about their bodies. Now it's about life and death. Mm-hmm. It's about taking care of those bodies. Um, they die so early. Um, girls get pregnant a lot, especially these girls that are trafficked. They get pregnant. Um, they, what they do to um, terminate their pregnancy is they basically go to an herbalist, a.k.a. a witch doctor, and they pick different leaves that are toxic, 50, this is documented, 50 to 51% of them die. Not only does it kill the, the, the fetus and terminate the pregnancy, but they die. And to die a toxic death is hell. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a little girl um, during COVID, 10 years old. That, that child has no idea what's going on with her body. And, mm-hmm. and she was pregnant and she ended up delivering. So mm-hmm. it's, a serious, it's a serious topic. A lot of people don't want to talk about it. And a lot of people say... Kathy, there's so much going on here in the United States. Why aren't you helping people here? We have resources here. They don't in Africa. And I don't know why I have such a passion for Africa, but I do. And we have to do it. Well, we have to Kathy, do it. can I ask Mr. Wolf about how he is involved in this? And please he's with the do, Department please of do. Justice. Because he, and, Bill, uh, Bill's the expert. I'm going to show Bill, up. <laughs> welcome to the show. And Tell us uh, how you're involved in this. Well, Neil, thank you. Thank you so much for for bringing this to attention and giving us an opportunity to talk about it. I mean, th- this is spot on. You know, I mean, Kathy has really kind of highlighted why it's so important we have these conversations because people just don't know. Um, human trafficking is the second largest criminal enterprise in the world. People are making estimates of $150 billion in illicit profits around the world every year uh, on selling people, exploiting people Uh for money. And we just don't realize what's happening. In fact, my first encounter uh, with human trafficking was as a a local police officer here in the United States. I was uh, assigned to the gang investigations unit. I was working criminal street gangs uh, when I first encountered it. And the unfortunate thing, and this was almost two decades ago, but, you know, the unfortunate thing was is that we, even when we encountered it as police officers, we had no idea what human trafficking was. To Kathy's point, we've been so fortunate, you know, over the past several years to really start to get resources in place here in the United States, to be able to bring training to law enforcement officers and other frontline professionals but there is so much more work to be done. Uh, I was fortunate in my career to go on. I, I led a, a federally funded human trafficking task force uh, and then went on to 
the U.S. Department of Justice uh, served as um, the Director of Human Trafficking Programs, as you noted, and also the Director of the Office for Victims of Crime. Uh, and then I also served as uh, Special Advisor to the White House on Human Trafficking. And we wrote the first National Action Plan, which really kind of directed how it is that, that our country should respond to this issue of human trafficking. But there was still so much more to be done. And the, the organization that Kathy mentioned, the founder of Anti-Trafficking International, our mission is to really educate, to get that information out there, to get the training and the knowledge to folks that are on the front lines so that they can be able to identify and respond. You know, Kathy mentioned, uh, you know, after she had been through some training and her eyes had been open to trafficking, kind of reflecting back and realizing that, you know, yeah, she probably was encountering some, some human trafficking victims along the way, but just didn't know. There's so much of that that goes on uh, today here in the United States and around the world. And so we're really focused on, on coming alongside and partnering with organizations uh, like Kathy's to be able to help get those tools and resources and training into the hands of the people that need them. Uh, healthcare professionals, it's estimated that about 88% of all human trafficking victims intersect with a healthcare professional during their course of exploitation. I mean, think about that, 88%, that's an incredible number, but only about 1% of those individuals are actually identified as victims of human trafficking. We're just not doing enough to stop this from happening. And like Kathy mentioned, the impact is devastating to these individuals. You know, in, in unfortunately, in many cases, it can end in, you know, somebody uh, being killed or, or suicide or, or something, you know, where their, their life ends. But even if they're able to be rescued and recovered out of that situation, it is a, there's lifelong impact, both physical, uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual impact that they have to deal with and recover from for years to, you know, for years to come. A very dear friend of mine, um, you know, I, I won't say her name is too, you know, because we're going to throw some age ranges in here, and, uh, but she was trafficked starting um, at the age of 12, 12 years old. Uh, she was trafficked through her early 20s. She is now in her 60s. So she's been out of that, that exploitation. She survived exploitation for over 40 years. And she still continues to struggle to include a year and a half ago being diagnosed uh, with a untreatable form of cancer that they have linked directly to the time when she was being trafficked. So it just goes to show that, that these, these health issues, uh, whether it's mental or physical health, continue for years and years to come. Sure. So, Trauma changes then, our brains as well. It changes everything about us. Um, would, when I go to Uganda, I'm going to go with a team. We're now training in traumatic um, healing and recovery. And we're going there to northern Uganda to teach them how to train others to interact with people that have been trafficked. Because northern Uganda was so horrible, especially after Idi Amin. They had something called the Lord's um, 
the Lord's um, resistance army, and they took children and like they did in Sudan and turned them into child soldiers. Um, and they used them in any way they can. Today, with all the unrest that's going on in all the different countries in Africa, in the civil wars, the woman's body is the second battle place in this world when it comes to, to wars. We, we saw it recently, and we've seen it in Ukraine, which gets more attention than, than little countries throughout Africa that we don't even know where they are on the map. Hmm. So we'll also be training people in the future. I've got a couple of callers that are on the line, and uh, if, if you'd like to join in the conversation or ask questions of Kathy or Bill, please uh, let us know. I've got area code 519. Who, who's at area code 519 up in Canada? I believe that's an area code. Whoops, just dropped off. <laughs> and area code 313. How about 313? Hi, I'm Dorothy Newhan. I'm just listening for a minute. I've got another appointment this morning or this afternoon. Unfortunately, I thought I'd check in for a few minutes and listen, but um, I, I won't be I won't be uh, with you for very long. Unfortunately. Okay. All right, you were with us last week, I think, Dorothy, and or I talked yes, with I you earlier. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes, I was. Well, I want to ask a question uh, from uh, Bill. Um, Bill, this uh, trafficking uh, that uh, are, is most of it coming from other countries into America and other countries, are we seeing a, a, a large percentage right here domestically uh, as far as trafficking, human trafficking? You know, one of the one of the myths around human trafficking is that it's, you know, people being moved into foreign countries, whether it's foreign nationals being brought into the United States or whether it's you know, people being taken into other countries. But the U.S. State Department releases what they call their annual trafficking in persons report. A couple of years ago, they took a specific focus on looking at where the victims were coming from. And what they found is, is in most countries around the world, including the United States, more than 80% of those that are trafficked in that country are their own citizens. So that means oh. that in the U.S., more than 80% mm. of all trafficking victims are actually U.S. citizens. They're, uh. they're our neighbors. There are, you know, people that we know and, and sometimes even our own kids that are being targeted. I'll tell you some, yeah. some quick statistics in, in the U.S. Um, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children estimates that one in five children will be targeted by trafficking. My God. So if you think about that, that's. That's a, that's a crazy number, right? One in five. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a father of six. I have six children. And, you know, that means statistically at least one of them is going to be approached by a trafficker. Um, now, that, that could be in person or most likely it's going to be online because that's where many of our young people um, are communicating nowadays. But even in the United States, you know, Kathy talked about young children being targeted in countries throughout Africa in the United States, it's the same. We're looking at the average age that uh, a person is targeted for trafficking is between the ages of 14 and 16. Um, so uh -huh. I mean, these are very young, impressionable teenagers uh, that, you know, are, are being, being approached by these individuals. Hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's so sad, so sad. 
Uh, let's see, I've got area code 519 back also. And uh, let me open your microphone. Uh, area code 519, I think, is up in Canada. I'm not sure, but I think it is. Maybe well, it's been just about. You, you, you know, Kathy, you touched on it earlier when you said uh, as a flight attendant, uh, there are certain signs or red flags is what we call them in other, uh, you know, in, uh, I used to be in the mortgage and the real estate business as well. And there are certain red flags that uh, are sent out that we recognize. And uh, what are some of the things that an airline flight attendant or a crew member uh, should be looking for or, you know, uh, catch if Bill, why don't you tell them about that? Because you had an experience on the plane. Okay. Go yeah, ahead, you know, it, it, it's interesting. You know, Kathy mentioned that, um, you know, she was talking to a first officer uh, and, and talking about the training um, that he, that they had received during recurrent. And, you know, it, it's just not enough. So we know that in, in the U.S. that more than 60% of trafficking victims are moved through airports, through the airlines. And um, not too long ago, it was about December 2020, uh, I was uh, in Atlanta boarding a flight back to Washington, D.C., and I'm not going to name the airline that I was taking, but I'm sure that you could take a pretty good guess. Uh, and so as I was approaching the, the gate area, the terminal area, and I'm, I'm the type of person that I, I like to walk around uh, until I, I absolutely have to board the plane. So uh, I get to the gate areas. There, They've already started boarding. But uh, right away, a group of three individuals caught my attention. And as I, I started kind of paying attention to what they were looking or what was going on, I started to overhear their conversation. And I watched them board the flight, and I knew at that moment, I said, this, this is human trafficking, boarding my flight right now. Mm. I said, you know what? No problem. I know this particular airline does have training for their flight crews, you know, on how to respond to human trafficking, so we should be good. I board the flight. Uh, this was, you know, 2020, so kind of the, the middle of COVID, so it wasn't a very full flight. Uh, and so I was sitting in the exit row. I, I leaned over uh, to, the, to one of the flight crew members, and I said, listen, I – don't mean to ruin your day, but I need to let you know there's two victims of human trafficking and their trafficker on your flight. They're seated in, you know, row 33 or whatever it was. And she leaned over, and her first reaction, rightly so, was, oh, my gosh, how do you know that? So I explained my credentials and who I was and all these things. And her next question, I think, really shocked me. And she said, well, what do I do about it? And I said, well, I don't know. Like you tell me, don't you have protocols in place? You know, what do you, you know, you tell me, what are you supposed to do? She's like, well, let me talk to the flight leader. So uh, she goes and she talks to the flight leader, kind of a, a back and forth, back and forth. Uh, they talk to the first officer and the captain. And long story short is that they did not feel comfortable notifying law enforcement because that was ultimately, I said, well, at minimum, you know, let, let your ops people know to have police meet the flight when we land in, in D.C. And I said, well, we don't feel comfortable. I said, you know what, just give them my name. Say I'm the one making the report. You know, it can all fall on me. But the point is they weren't 100% sure that it was trafficking. Mm -hmm. And because they weren't 100% sure, 
they weren't willing to take action, which is a really unfortunate situation. So I was, uh, you know, on the the airplane's Wi-Fi checking email because work never ends nowadays, right? And uh, so I kind of got frustrated with the situation. I said, you know what, I'll handle it. I ended up emailing some folks back in D.C., had them notify law enforcement to meet the plane, and sure enough, they were two teenagers that were being trafficked by this older female. So, you know, the, the point being is it's happening all around us. We've got to be empowered, and we've got to be training these frontline professionals, not just to identify it, but then empowering them to take action and report and so, Neil, you were asking, you know, what, what are those red flags? What are those warning signs? So when we teach people in the aviation industry what to look for, we use the acronym DEER, which stands for Dress, uh, Energy, Age, and Relationship. So dress, what we mean by that, is what the individual wearing appropriate and does it match sort of what the other people are wearing? So in other words, if it's a, a young kid that's dressed in really ratty clothes and they're with somebody that's decked out in a pair of jeans that cost $150, you know what I mean? If it's not sort of matching, yeah. then that would be an indicator. If mm. the person – one of the things that in the particular incident that I just described that drew my attention was, in fact, their dress. And so what I mean by that is you had two – looked like teenagers, one was in basically pajamas and the other was in, you know, sweatpants, you know, sweatshirt and all that kind of stuff. Now, in today's day and age, that's sort of normal. I know back when I was a young kid and we would fly, we would put our Sunday best on to to board an airplane, but it's not that way anymore. Uh, And um, so, you know, it's normal for young people to dress down when they're flying. But what caught my Mm -hmm. attention was, this was about 9, 9.30 in the morning. They were dressed one way, like they just rolled out of bed, but yet their hair was done, like they were going out for a night on the town. Their nails were done. Their makeup was done. Everything that wasn't matching up, right? So the makeup and the hair and the nails and everything else was not matching with what they were mm-hmm. wearing for that time of day. So that kind of mm-hmm. drew, drew my attention. Um, the, uh, the energy – Right. So, again, I know teenagers. I have a teenager. I know that they sleep all the time. But (laughs) these particular individuals, again, it looked like they had been up all night. Right. And so you could really tell their energy level just wasn't right. Plus, most kids, most teenagers get very excited when they go to fly. Flying is exciting. Um, And usually you're flying because you're going to a cool destination. Maybe you're going on vacation or going to visit relatives or something like that. So the fact that they weren't excited to be there per se, uh, they looked like they've been up all night, that was another indicator for me. Age. So the age of the individuals, when I looked at the three, they were all three women, uh, well, two girls and, and a woman, their, but their ages were – they did not – demographically, they did not look like they were biologically related. Um, and, but their ages – and their ages were too close to 
necessarily be sisters or, or things, right? And there's all kinds of explanations, of course, for why that pair could be together. But when we're looking at these situations, we, I apply something that we used in law enforcement, and that was a, an idea of totality of circumstances, right? So we're looking at everything, not just one particular, particular thing. So the ages didn't match up. The two looked really young. The older woman did not look old enough to be the mother, um, but she looked too old to maybe be a sister, but they really didn't look like, you know, they demographically, you know, kind of fit together. So there was just some questions there. And then, and then the relationship, the way that they were, they were interacting with each other. The older woman clearly had control, and that's normal for the older one to kind of be directing the situation, but it was a, an extra level of control, right? So before they boarded the plane, um, you know, she was checking their phones. She had control over the phones. She was making sure that they boarded the flight the right way, and all of it was very odd. All of it was very abnormal, um, and so all of those sort of signs and then I could also overhear their conversation. And they were talking about how they were, they were glad that they were flying on this particular airline because it was not one of the budget airlines. Uh, and they were articulating why they don't like the budget airlines. Um, they were saying how they were excited to go to D.C. because, and they started comparing D.C. to all of these other cities that they had visited. And that, mm. that conversation was a red flag to me. I mean, clearly, you know, I travel for work all the time, and they, they clearly travel more than I do. They know more cities. They know more about airlines uh, and, and all these different things. And so that was really – a lot of that was uh, – were indicators to me that kind of said, wait a minute, this is human trafficking. Mm. And, and, when you, wow. and when Bill starts talking about that, when, about a trafficker he saw with, with two teenagers, I bet your mind thought of a man, didn't it? Yeah, sure did. Mine sure did. did. I know. Yeah. So, so the traffickers, this is another thing that people need to be educated on. A trafficker is going to look just like you or me. And, mm. and Bill said, well, what did you, when I was saying something to Bill one time, he said this, and Bill, correct me if I don't get this right, that they're some of the most narcissistic people on the planet. They think they can get away with anything. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, traffickers, I think that was one of the things that was so interesting to me as a police officer is, you know, most criminals, when they see a police officer, turn and go the other way, right? They don't want anything to do with law enforcement. Traffickers, they'll walk right up to you and engage in conversation because they have such an incredible level of narcissism that they just believe that they are, you know, that they're gods, you know, that they walk on – that they walk on water and that law enforcement's too stupid to ever, uh, you know, actually encounter them. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really interesting. And, you know, we talk, we've kind of described this. Um, I know a lot of your audiences are those within the aviation, aviation industry. You know, we talk a lot about how human trafficking intersects with, you know, part 121 operations, the air carriers. But human trafficking also happens in Part 135, uh, Part 91, you know, through the FBOs. Uh, we see a lot of that. Probably the most infamous case is the Jeffrey Epstein case, where he was moving, 
young girls that were being trafficked, uh, you know, he was moving them through FBOs on, on his private jet. And I think that's something to really remember, too. You know, it's not just the major hubs. It's some of the regional airports, and it's the FBOs that have an opportunity to observe as well. And when you're in um, a lot of the smaller airplane, airports, you don't – and I don't even know if people listen to the announcements about human trafficking. You know, and there are – in larger airports, there, there is information that's out there, but you don't see it in small airports. Some of the small ones that I've been in and out of, you don't see it and you don't hear it in the announcements. And, you know, you just brought up another thing. You know, um, private aviation, they, they probably need to know about this as well. You probably have a package for it, don't you, Bill? <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, no, we've, we've started training some FBOs um, and some um, private charter services to, you know, to be more educated. But that's a group that definitely needs to, to be aware as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there are many deficits out there and many holes that need to be filled, and um, it's going to take a lot of people to do it, and it's going to be awareness. And it really bothers me to think that um, someone um, like a captain of, a, of an airline, um, he's got people on his plane, and he they, they need to have that confidence to know that they're not going to get in trouble if they make a mistake. But when they've got, but when like things are adding up, you, you have to you have to make an impact. You have to do something. That could be your child. You know that that could be your your grandchild. Um, yeah. And we've got to stop. We've got to stop seeing people. I I witnessed it a couple of weeks ago when Florida was basically closed. I was coming back from from Dallas, uh, and by the I think it was a Friday or Saturday, a Friday Friday. And the weather in, in, I mean, the visibility in, in Tallahassee was less than a half a mile. I think it was so bad. So I wasn't going to get home. And many flights that were on their way to um, Orlando and different places, they had to land in Atlanta or wherever. I couldn't even get into Jacksonville. I even tried to get to Al Albany, Georgia or someplace, any place I could get that was closer to Tallahassee. Not is it wasn't going to happen. So then you've got all these people that are competing with you to get a hotel. Um, and I ended up <laughs> – just fighting for a hotel room, you know, on the phone um, in the airport. And I went to the one, the one that I finally got a place. It was a Howard Johnson's Wyndham. Well, Howard Johnson's, I would never stay there. Okay. But it had Wyndham attached to it. And I thought, well, maybe, and it's all I've got. So um, I took it, couldn't get an Uber because they were all busy. Um, and that was also the weekend of March Madness. So I went to, I went to this Hojo's um, and uh, one of the airport drivers, um, took pity on me, and he, he drove me over to College Park, which wasn't far away. And he said, you're staying here? And I went, oh, this didn't look anything like the picture. And so I walked in on it, and I said to this young um, Pakistan young man, about 20-something, um, I said, where is the motel? Because this is, I mean, where is the hotel? Because this is clearly a motel. He said, it's not one. He says, but if you don't want to stay here, you don't have to. Well, there was another couple that was trying furiously to find another place to stay, and I'm watching these women go down to the rooms. I'm watching all these cars dropping people off, males and females. And as I'm inside, because um, I didn't really want to be outside with them, I'm in, in there at the lobby, and I'm watching the girls. They're walking in. They're very inappropriately dressed. Um, they walk into the back of this counter, and they spend just a few minutes, and then they walk out, and they walk down around to the parking lot area where they go to the motel rooms. 
and they were in there for just a short period of time because I was there over an hour trying to find a place to stay. Left me standing here behind 